Well, good morning and happy new year. And I'm sure that like me, many of you have uh, some commitments that you're making uh, this time of the year and always, you know, uh, it's just a, an opportunity to really reflect this time of year and then uh, make uh, some resolutions, if you will. And uh, this year you will be different, uh, excuse me, this time next year you will be different in some ways than you are right now. And a lot of that has to do with what it is that is informing you and what is uh, influencing you. And uh, what we want uh, as a church family is to be influenced first and foremost by Christ and his word. And so uh, together, uh, we want to support each other in that. And so that's why we uh, are uh, doing this Bible reading plan as a church family. And you can find out more information about that Bible reading plan on uh, our church website. We have over 150 people uh, from our church already signed up to do this. I read uh, Luke chapter 1 this morning as I began that this morning as well. It started today. Uh, so uh, you can sign up and read that scripture and be with us. And it's five days a week as we go through the New Testament this year. And so I encourage you to do that. Uh, I also just want to say to you, I encourage you this year uh, to get involved in the life of our church. Maybe you've been visiting for a while. Uh, you know this is the church you want to be a part of. Uh, it is time to get off of the bench and to get in the game and to do something to serve God, to be plugged into a community of believers. I encourage you to do that. If this is not the church for you, I encourage you to find a church and to use your gifts. I'm telling you that God is faithful and when we serve him and we invest time in learning from him, he does a great work in our life. Uh, if you are here visiting with us today uh, or watching online for the first time, we're so grateful that you are our guest and we would love to know you and we'd love to help you learn how you can grow and how you can get connected into the life of our church family. You can text the word connect uh, to the number that you see on the screen and one of our team members will follow up with you and would love to answer any questions that you might have. If you're with us on campus, you can also also stop at the welcome desk or one of our welcome tables on your way out and our team there would ha be happy to help you get connected. Well, I encourage you to open your Bible to Mark chapter nine as we continue our journey uh, through the gospel of Mark. We are right at about halfway uh, through the gospel of Mark and the text we come to today uh, is, is a little challenging. Uh, in fact, it's puzzled Bible readers and Bible scholars for uh, many centuries um, and, and this is a text that probably titled in your Bible is The Transfiguration. Um, and so uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. And because it's a little challenging to understand, what we're going to do is we're going to follow um, Bible study technique uh, to make sure that we're, we're kind of understanding what's going on and then understanding what it means to us. So uh, Howard Hendricks in his book, Living by the Book, uh, gives us three uh, keys to Bible reading. Observation, that means observe what's there. Interpretation, which means then understand what it means. And then application, how it applies. And so we're going to start with some observation, just kind of looking at it, what's there. We'll, we'll throw in a little bit of interpretation, and then uh, after that, we'll get to some more interpretation and application. But I'm going to read uh, Mark 9, um, and we'll just kind of go through that. So Mark 9, verse 1 says, He said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. So there's several different views on verse one. Some are say, say that what Jesus is talking about 
is his teaching and healing ministry. And so there are those who will not taste death until they see the fulfillment of Jesus' teaching and healing ministry, the, the kingdom coming with its power. Some have said what he's talking about when he says that is he's talking about the transfiguration, which is about to take place and what the disciples will see. Some have said that he's talking about the mission of the church. So, you know, after Jesus ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit descends upon uh, the early church and, and the, the, the fire is lit and the gospel spreads. And so some believe that's what Jesus is talking about here. Other believe that Jesus was referring to uh, AD 70 when the temple uh, was destroyed and the church really continued uh, to exist after AD 70. And others, including me, uh, believe that Jesus is talking about his resurrection and his ascension, uh, seeing the kingdom of God coming uh, with its power. And what we are about to see take place is assurance to some of the disciples that they will see the kingdom of God come with its power. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. So when Mark writes after six days, he's referring to six days after Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ. Now, Luke actually says about eight days. So uh, anywhere there's any opportunity for argument, Christians are going to argue. And so uh, there's debate about whether or not Jesus, this took place six days after the confession, or whether or not it took place eight days after the confession, or since it says about, and you know, some people like compromise, maybe it was seven days. But the point is made, six to eight days later, they went up on a mountain. We're not sure where this physically takes place. Some have suggested Mount Hermon. Some have said Mount Tabor. Some have said Mount Meron. Each of those locations have interpretive challenges if that is the location. But again, what's important here is that Luke says they went there to pray. And they were there by themselves. And the emphasis that is here in Mark and the other gospels is what takes place the transfiguration. Transfigured is the Greek word metamorphothe. It's the same word that is used for the transformation that takes place in the life of a believer. But here we will see it refers to a visible, physical transformation. Mark describes it, verse three. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. The language here is of white and laundry that is as brightly white, brightly clean, br brightly pure as it possibly could be. Something that's not possible in my house with four boys. And Matthew and Luke say that in both of their accounts that Jesus' appearance was affected. Matthew 17 says his face shone like the sun. Luke chapter 9 says that his face was altered. And the language here in no way indicates that this is some natural, physical explanation like the sun glowing off of the snow-capped mountains or something similar, as others have said. And to confirm that, Mark lets us know that they saw more. Verse 4, there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Moses and Elijah were two significant figures in Jewish history. Moses, who you're probably familiar with, was the man God chose to use the, to lead the exodus uh, 
and give the law. And then Elijah was also a prominent figure, not talked about as much because Charlton Heston hasn't made a movie about him. But Elijah was one of the prophets and often the most respected of the prophets. They were considered special men and they were revered in the Jewish culture. Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire, 2 Kings chapter 2 tells us. And rabbinic tradition is that Moses was taken up as well since he was buried, but his grave was never found according to Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 6, which was incredibly abnormal in ancient days, especially for such a notable figure. So nothing in this passage indicates that Moses and Elijah here had definite physical bodies, but rather they appear. Luke says in 931 of his gospel that they appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So there's Moses and Elijah, they appear with Jesus in this glorified form, and they're speaking about Jesus's departure, Jesus' exodus, which was going to happen to Jerusalem They were undoubtedly talking about aspects of the crucifixion, resurrection, and likely ascension of Jesus. And so, verse 5 tells us, Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And I can identify with Peter When nobody knows what to say, my mouth just opens often. And Luke, somebody laughed too hard at that. Luke tells us that they had fallen asleep. And when they woke up, they saw this going on. And Peter says, it is good that we're here. But really, that's a question. He's saying, it's good that we're here, isn't it? And the reason he's saying this is because here's Jesus, here's Moses, here's Elijah in this glorified form. Now, I want you to remember what happened or what was believed to happen in the Old Testament when you went before the presence of God. Whenever the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies on the day he was to sacrifice or offer sacrifice on behalf of his people, they would tie a rope around his waist because if he were struck dead in the presence of God, they needed to pull him out of the presence of God. And so now here, Peter, who's just confessed that Jesus is the Messiah, sees Jesus along with Moses and Elijah in this glorified form and so he's thinking, are we gonna die? I got an idea. Let's make a tent for each of you so you're protected and we're not necessarily in your presence anymore because the word tents means tabernacles that he uses here. So we're gonna create the separation between us and you and we're gonna honor you uh, for your glorified, for your glory. And verse seven says, and a cloud overshadowed them and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son, listen to him. Matthew tells us that Peter was still speaking when this happened. And this is God's answer to Peter's question. Now in the Old Testament, clouds symbolize the presence of God, something that Jewish people would later call Shekinah glory. That word Shekinah is not found in scripture, but it was their way of articulating and explaining the revelation of God's glory. It meant that God has dwelt with us and he has shown himself to us. And God speaks and says to Peter, this is my beloved son. 
God says the same thing about Jesus when, that he said at his baptism. And then he says, listen to him. This is what God wants Peter, James, and John to take away from what they are seeing. Listen to Jesus. Verse eight says, and suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. The word only, monos, in the Greek comes at the end of the sentence for emphasis, that Jesus is the focus here. Matthew says in Matthew 17, verse six, when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and they were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. What God wants in his glorified state or what God wants for Jesus in his glory is for them to listen to Jesus. They tremble at the presence of Jesus, but Jesus says, rise and have no fear. And they begin to walk, and they begin to talk with Jesus. And Mark says in his gospel, chapter nine, verse nine, and as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. You see, they believed in a resurrection of the dead, but they were still struggling to understand the teaching of Jesus on this, particularly related to how he would rise since he was the Messiah and he was alive. In verse 11, they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? So having just seen Elijah, they had to ask, why do the religious teachers say Elijah is coming in? In Malachi chapter four, verse five, it said, God had said, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. This was an understanding from the Jewish people. There was some debate about it, but that Elijah would come in some form before the Messiah would come. And so they say, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first before the Messiah when we're here with you already? In verse 12, Jesus answers them. He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Now, we know that what the Old Testament was talking about when it talked about Elijah, when it spoke of Elijah, was John the Baptist. In fact, as we read in our Bible reading plan this morning in Luke chapter one, that's what the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah of John the Baptist. And then Matthew tells us in the Gospels, Matthew 17, verse 13, that then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So we kind of walk through what we see here, what's happening, what's being said, and we, de we got a little into kind of the meaning of some of it. But what I wanna do now is talk more about the meaning of it and as I do that, I wanna talk about how this applies. Like what is the relevance of this transfiguration of these verses we just read to our lives today? The first thing I want us to take note of is this. A mountain almost always precedes a mission. A mountain almost always precedes a mission. Jesus knew that what lied before him was being rejected and killed. And he referenced this in his instruction to the disciples as they came down the mountain and prior to this. The glory of Jesus was obvious. The joy, glory of Jesus was being shown 
to Peter, James, and John, and to Jesus himself in a way that was very obvious. But the work of Jesus was not complete. You see, there was a greater glory to come in his resurrection and ascension, the fullness of his glory. And this mountaintop experience was preparation for the challenge to come before that glory would be revealed. You see, for Jesus, it was the mountain, then it was the cross, then it was the glory of God that he deserved. But we typically want the mountain without the cross. We want the mountain and the glory without the trial. And people are selling you a Christianity that isn't consistent with a pattern of following Jesus. In fact, you'll hear a lot of this sold in books and pop Christianity as a new year begins. That 2022, you can get to your mountain and you can use whatever words and whatever descriptions you wanna use about your mountain and that the goal of life is to get through the challenges and get to the mountain so you can stay on the mountain. But that is not the message of Christianity. That is not the message of the Christian's life on earth. You see, Christianity starts with the mountain. It starts with salvation. It starts being saved by God, in the presence of God, and then we live a life on mission for God, often with trials that accompany that mission because of the glory that is set before us. In Mark chapter eight, that is what Jesus is telling his disciples who are asking about what it means to be a believer. He says that to be a Christian, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. You see, for the Christian, listen, for the Christian, we are not concerned with small, temporal, earthly mountains when we know that we are going to go rest up high on high on that mountain in the glory of Jesus forever. And so when God gives us mountains, if you will, on this earth, it almost always precedes what he's calling us to. He's strengthening us. We don't stay on the mountain transfiguration. We go on. We don't stay on the mount before, uh, before the Great Commission. We go on mission. If you read the pattern of Scripture, this idea that we get to a mountain and we stay there and that's our life is the desire of pagan kings, not people who follow the king of kings. And so we need to understand as Christians, and I hope this might change your perspective as you live your life, that mountains almost always precede a mission. And the glory of us is not found in this life. It's in our death and the eternal life we live in Christ Jesus. And so this life is then lived with that in mind. The next thing I want you to see from this text is this. The glory of Jesus is like no other. The glory of Jesus is like no other. The point here of the transfiguration is the glory of Jesus. And Randall Otto, a commentator, says, it's not a vision of what is to be, but a revelation of what already is. A revelation of the unchanging divine glory which has been concealed beneath the lowliness of a human body. I said that the glory of Jesus was going to be fully revealed at the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, but he already had that glory. In Colossians 1.19, it tells us in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
And in 2 Corinthians chapter three, it tells us who have the Holy Spirit, we now don't see with a veil. And this should become a focal point for all people is that the glory of Jesus is like no other. There is no glory that compares to the glory of Jesus. And so, whenever we hear that they were with Jesus only at the Mount of Transfiguration, after these events, that should resonate in our hearts. God's focus was not on Moses and Elijah, but on Jesus alone. What's interesting is that that's what this Mount of Transfiguration shows us. What God speaks is, listen to Jesus, this is my beloved son, and yet later Christians would build three sanctuaries on this Mount of Transfiguration in honor of Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. What? There are not three equal sanctuaries for Moses and Jesus and Elijah. In fact, in James chapter five, it goes on to tell us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a man just like us. He's not the one that should be glorified, Jesus is. Now I'll tell you what though, that shows us what God can do through somebody who's just like us. And when you look at the life of Moses, you understand that he is not a deified figure or should not be. And, and what you understand about him, the writer of Hebrews tells us, is that the reason God used him is he considered the reproach of Christ greater, of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. You see why Moses ended up being used by God the way he did, is he did not value the wealth of the treasures of Egypt anywhere near what he compared to Christ and the reward that we have in Christ. Now we tend to follow after what is exalted. And in Egypt, there were certain treasures that were exalted, especially in Pharaoh's house. And I would just ask you this morning, what are your treasures of Egypt? What are the things exalted in your life? We tend to follow after those things. We live in a celebrity culture where on social media we are bombarded with a, an image and things and accomplishments and experiences that we must have to have experience what life truly offers. And I think we are more influenced and more driven by this than we might realize. This affects parenting. This affects the church often. But the way to become more and more like Jesus, the way to become more of who God wants you to be, the way to live life is to fix your gaze on him and hold his glory and him in your view. You see, the Christian life is a continual exaltation of Jesus as our greatest treasure. That's what the Christian life is, is continually realizing Christ is of greater reward than the treasures of Egypt. Christ is of greater reward than the things I see on Instagram or the things that I see in other people's lives. And what I want is more of God and more of his glory. And we don't make God glorious. He is glorious. There's not this burden to live a life that makes God glorious. He, he is glorious. We don't make his name great. His name is great. We don't need to make his words palatable. His words are light. And so, as a Christian, we're brought up onto the mountain with Jesus when we're saved. And then we respond. 
by listening to Jesus. We see his glory and we do what he says. See, Jesus walks down off that mountain with the disciples and God has sent his spirit to be with us. And so we live for him. We worship him. We grow in intimacy with him. We live our lives in response to his goodness by being generous and by serving people. And that shows, that reflects his glory. We tell people about who he is because we know how glorious he is. And in our suffering, we understand the glory that is set before us. And we will struggle. The disciples will struggle in just a moment. As we continue to read on in Mark chapter 9, you'll see their struggle with thinking that they are great, as that will continue. And, you know, I, I was just thinking about it as I was going through this this morning, how ironic it is that I think a lot of people, you know, they look, the focal point of their lives as they enter into a new year is how they want to be transfigured, right? But I'm telling you that the focal point of our lives, while goals are fine and we work on all those things, we'll take a cup of kindness yet, all glory be to Christ. His glory, that's our hope. His glory, that's what our life should be in response to. That's what should drive us. Now, here's what you need to understand, though. God, in his grace, gives us glory through Jesus. God, in his grace, gives us glory through Jesus. We will be glorified. The desire to be exalted, the desire to be glorified is not altogether bad. Look at what 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says. When Paul's writing about the foolishness of this world, people thinking the cross is beneath them, a stumbling block because of the message of die to yourself to live for him. Here's what Paul says. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. God created us to be glorified in eternity. That is great news. And that is what we live for, is the glory that comes from, from God and not from man. A glory we have seen on display in Jesus Christ. And that's what Jesus says in I think this is my last application point here this morning. Is if we've seen the glory of Jesus, listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Peter will later write in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 21. Remember, Peter saw this. Here's what he'll write. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. This isn't some clever philosophy. This isn't some ambitious theory of how to live life. Because there's a lot of those, and especially this time of year, we start to hear them. Here's what he says. We've seen the majesty of Jesus. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice, voice was born to him 
by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to, you, to which you will do well to pay attention as a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Paul says, um, excuse me, Peter says that we have seen the majesty of Jesus and now we have the word of God, which is our lamp shining in the dark place until the day comes when there is no more darkness because God has come to dwell with man and he is the light. But knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What Peter is saying here is he's saying God has given us Jesus in his majesty and in his glory and in the same way, he has given his, us his word to live by until we see the fullness of his glory again. And so the challenge to you this morning, the challenge to me this morning, you scared me, sorry. The challenge uh, this morning for all of us is to listen to Jesus. As I said earlier, Jesus came down the mountain with the disciples. They didn't, weren't told, okay, you've seen my glory. Now go live your life to the best you can. Jesus said, I will continue to speak to you. And Peter says, we have the word of God, the prophetic word of God, which is a light to us until that day comes when we see the fullness of his glory. So I don't care if you join our Bible reading plan or you have another Bible reading plan, but get in the word. It's a gift of God to light your path, a lamp to your feet. God has not left you alone to figure out how to live in 2022 or any other year or your circumstances. He has given you his word he has given you guidance he has given you the way and the truth and the life and I believe the more you look to this the more you will see that it's him and no it doesn't speak to the specific nuances of every circumstances of your life but it speaks to your character and it speaks to your perspective enough that it will transcend all the nuances of your life God's word is a gift to us lean into that gift Start reading the Bible. Start living the Bible. Start trusting. Maybe there's things you haven't trusted him in for years. And every year you think, I need to start doing this. I need to stop doing this. Trust God. Trust God. May the, may the reward of Christ be greater than the treasures of Egypt. May it be better than what you think you can give yourself. May it be better than what is portrayed for us in the celebrity culture or even in maybe the Christian celebrity culture. May we be people of faithful trust in God, not because we believe in some myth, but because we have seen him in his majesty. Today, this morning, I would ask you the question, do you want to see him in his majesty? Or is the truth, the fear of giving up your own throne preventing you from seeing him on his throne. And tonight, today, I pray that the Lord would just convict your heart and the spirit would work in you so that you would see him. And Christian, I'll just remind you that our life is not about trying to get to some mountain and staying there and staying comfortable, whether that's the mountain of retirement or the mountain of 
You know, whatever family life we think we have, our life is about being on the mountain with Jesus, being fueled for the mission of Jesus. And when he brings us to a mountain to spend some time with him, we praise him for that. And then we go back again because we see from the mountain as the disciples saw Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, the ends of the earth, people who are sheep without shepherd, who need to hear of the goodness of God. And as we minister to them, God is with us always, even to the end of the age. And even if we suffer in that, the sufferings of this world are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us in Christ Jesus, a glory that God has prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Walk in that this year and every day of our lives. Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your glory. And Lord, I pray this morning, I pray that we would behold your glory. God, maybe in just a supernatural way, we feel, we experience the glory of Jesus. And it's clear what you want us to do with that. Listen to him. Whatever that looks like this morning, for each person in this room and each person watching online, I pray that they would trust you because of your majesty and your glory and because of your mission for us and our glory. I pray this in Jesus' name.